I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benito. Today I have with me, of course, our reoccurring guest, our in-house clinician slash therapist slash whatever you want to call it. Uh, has a degree and makes people not feel crazy. And uh, Hannah Heyman is here. And today we're going to discuss boundaries. Hannah, for the some people who are tuning in for the first time, why don't you give a little 30 seconds of who you are and how you correlate to the law enforcement community? Sure. So, as Dennis said, my name is Hannah Heyman. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in the state of New Jersey. I'm also a national certified counselor, a certified clinical trauma professional, and I'm trained in the modality of brain spotting. I'm connected to the law enforcement community because I am married to a police officer. I've been with my husband for nine years. We've been married for almost three now. And I was pretty well, what much. What was the holdup? Was dragging his feet? Yeah, you're gonna have to ask him that. Yeah, one. what was that big, all about? Big fights. Whoa. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so we started dating when I look back, like we were babies. I was 21 and he was 20. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we had no idea about life. I still had to go through graduate school. He had to go through the academy. And so you know, it takes a lot to kind of get to that point of being independent financially enough to make that step and to take that jump to getting married. So that was the holdup. Was that we started dating young and it just took us a while to get there but um because of him and because of watching him go through that process and seeing the struggles that he deals with um i was really drawn to working with police officers and helping them find better mental health help in the world mm. today we're going to discuss boundaries yes so you can guide me on this with what this means here for these boundaries yes so boundaries First and foremost, I think um, we should challenge people's perceptions of boundaries because I think oftentimes people assume that boundaries need to be made as a way to show someone else something, you know, to put someone else in their place, to kind of ward somebody else off. But I would encourage people to change their perspective of boundaries from uh, doing something to someone else to acting out of self-love for yourself because boundaries first and foremost should be something that's put in place to protect you either physically mentally or emotionally okay yeah pretty straightforward yeah i mean when we say boundaries maybe a little bit more descript in the sense of like give us an example of where we start placing some boundaries in our lives that was like people who are toxic Sure. So it doesn't necessarily have to be with somebody who's toxic. You know, personally for myself, a boundary that I set is after I've had a full day at the office and I've been dealing with clients and working through whatever issues they work with on my way home, um, I will not call anyone back. I obviously won't respond to any text messages. And even after I get home, I kind of keep that in place. I try to keep all extra communications to a minimum because I already know I'm burnt from the day. Like even if it felt like a really good day, I'm already aware of the fact that I don't really have a lot to give to anybody else. And so it's kind of just setting that boundary like, hey, I'm not not returning anyone's calls because I don't like them or I have an issue with them. It's because I'm not in a capacity to be able to give to anybody else. So I'm going to take care of me. And then the next day when I have time, I will give to them with greater capacity. So, you know, does that does that kind of fall into like maybe a temporary burnout as well 
where your battery's depleted and you need to recharge? I think it's the opposite of burnout because I think it's actually putting things in place to make sure you avoid burnout. Okay, interesting. Because burnout to me is a complete of absolute exhaustion and fatigue where you cannot continue on anymore. And so boundaries are actually a really good thing to put in place when you realize that you're reaching a point of, wow, I'm irritable, I'm tired, mm -hmm. I'm frustrated. If I call this person or if I go to this event, it might not turn out well for me because I already don't have a lot to give. So instead of talking to this person or going to this event, I'm gonna choose not to this time so that I can preserve my mental health and sanity. Interesting. So sometimes here, like I'll be having a day where maybe it's not being as productive as I usually am. It happens, believe mm -hmm. it or not. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> um, and then, you know what? I'll just be like, all right, it's four o'clock, I'm going home. Because mm -hmm. people don't know that I usually work about for about 9 to 7, 7.30 every night. Mm -hmm. So 4 o'clock, I'm like, I'll just go and beat my kids now. And that's what I'll do. I'll go play in the basement and I'll work out. And that's about the level of my mental capacity at that point. That's similar stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's noticing and checking in on yourself when you're getting to that point of this is now moving from not necessarily being productive to I kind of think of it as being like angry productive where you're maybe a little resentful towards what you're doing you start to make mistakes mm -hmm. you start not to feel as sharp maybe you notice your tone and temperament has changed with people in the office and so I think being aware of what's going on with you in those little cues that you're not at your best and that you might need to take a break, I think it's really good to check in with those things and then take that break because more often than not, trying to push through that is what oftentimes is going to lead to complications and difficulties for people. It's not gonna give them the result that they were looking for. What role do outside forces have on the impact of that occurring to you? Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, can something trigger those moments where we've completely depleted focus, um, maybe an anxiety response to something. So recently something happened here. I let something actually get to me. Mm -hmm. And it was nothing what you typically would think it, it would be. It was something so silly that ended up, I think, later on not being true. But at that point, I was like, it was so focused on that that I could not be productive anymore. Yes. So those things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's going to have those days where there is something that feels more pressing to you, that your time and attention for all the other things is not going to be as present. And therefore it's okay to then say, okay, I can't, I can't focus on these other things right now because this one thing is really in need of my time and attention and I'm not going to feel calm, present, or, you know, focus until I've addressed this bigger issue. But I think in the context of boundaries, what's important to know is that on those days, it's okay to just focus on that one thing that's taking your attention. You do not have to be a superhero and take care of the big thing and take care of all of the little things. It's okay to leave those little things for another day. Sometimes on those days, like I, I always, I mean, I have so much work to do, it's nonstop. But what I'll do is I actually have kind of like two checklists. One is mm -hmm. mindless work that needs to get done that I generally tend to push off and circle back around to. And then other stuff is um, thoughtful work. So this creation, that creative mindset of, oh, wow, I can't believe I just thought of this. Like, this is gonna be really good. For example, yesterday, the post that we put on Instagram, the five things you needed in your duty bag that you didn't know of, right? That was thoughtful stuff. So I was having a good day yesterday. Today, I'm actually focused on uh, the PBA mini convention here in the state of New Jersey. Um, so my mind's a little shifted to like later on this evening. I know I'm leaving here early today to go home, see my children, shower a second time, get dressed. I just, yeah, yeah, just how it is. Man, like I gotta get and fresh. And it's hot today. It's really nice yeah, yeah. out. 
Um, just to get fresh and like go out and have a whole separate evening. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, I was up at 5.30, right? I meditated, I worked out, I did all those things. I'm in here, I'm knocking out the stuff that I need to do today. And we're quickly approaching the afternoon by the time this is being recorded. We're actually almost at 12 o'clock here at Eastern Time. It seems like the day goes faster because I'm anticipating the end of that day. But also at the same time, I'm also realizing that there is not magic coming out of my brain. I think because I know I'm gonna be spending this evening probably conversing with several people in the realm of the casinos of Atlantic City with, I'm, a, I'm guessing in the ballpark of thousands of cops attending who will want to, you know, ask questions and things like that. So that seemed to all correlate to the same thing. Yeah, definitely. And so there's going to be days where you are a little more task oriented and it's going to be kind of just getting into the trenches of got to do what I got to do. And then there's other days where you're going to find you have the opportunity to explore maybe more creative things and to be able to explore maybe what's going to be more future wishes and desires. But I think what's important to recognize and identify is if those are two distinct things that serve you, getting those physical tasks done that need to be done and being a creative person, then set boundaries with the small tasks so that you also have time to give to those creative tasks. Yeah. How about this? Is it possible that people begin to hear something like this and start using boundaries too much where they're almost escaping from things that need to be addressed? I think it's definitely possible. Um, so it can start to look like a fine line between avoidance and boundaries. And I think someone would have to be really honest with themselves and kind of start doing some check-ins as, is this really a boundary because I need self-care and I need to take a break right now? Or is this, I'm using boundaries as an excuse because really this situation or this tasks makes me feel uncomfortable, makes me feel anxious, and I don't really want to deal with it, so I'm just avoiding it, but that would have to be an honest self-check-in that somebody does with themselves. When you say boundaries, I have some thoughts of how it's correlated to law enforcement work, but what's your thoughts and how do you think this attaches to law enforcement? Meaning like how can law enforcement officers maintain boundaries at work? Yes, and what's a good recognizable time to establish boundaries? And I go right to female police officers. Okay. That's where my mind goes, because I, I have heard from many who, um, and believe me, I have a lot of compassion for the dynamic of the environment of being a female, and especially if you're an attractive female police officer, I've, I've talked to them, you know, and they're like, you know, it's, it's, they want to be part of the team, but they've got to watch how much part of the team they become, and when people start to confuse or convolute, being a team member or somebody who is trying to do something else and namely sexually. Correct. Yeah. So I think we're kind of diving into a few different things. One is obviously stereotypes and the way that women are oftentimes held to a different standard than men and especially a female in a male dominated field. It mm -hmm. just looks and feels completely different. I also have a lot of empathy for women that are in this field because it is hard and it is difficult. But I think something that everyone can look for is a boundary can be established when you feel as if you're going to act in a way that's going to feel as a betrayal to yourself. And if you feel as if you're about to engage in a behavior that's going to feel as if you're betraying your own morals, ethics, and values, it might be good to take pause and kind of take stock of what you're doing and think, okay, is this something I really want to do? Or maybe I'm going to establish a boundary here of like, hey, don't talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. Or hey, like I'm your teammate, like I'm part of this team as well, but you're not allowed to like make those types of comments to me. You're not allowed to like touch me in that way. Please stop invading my personal space. No, you can't text me, whatever the case may be. Right. And just start to really decide for yourself, like, 
if acting in a certain way feels right to you or not. And if it doesn't feel right, set that boundary. This is not, believe it or not, if I'm guessing correctly, typically peer to peer. It's usually supervisor to subordinate. So mm-hmm. a lot of these supervisors, these older guys will have these young female patrol officers come in and they will be the ones pushing the boundaries because for whatever reason, I don't know. The supervisors yeah. are pushing the boundaries? Yeah, yeah, usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. usually how it goes. Usually the I'm supervisor is trying to you know, either either try to take them under their wing and provide some air mm-hmm. cover with the intent of exchanging sexual favors later, or just blatantly just telling them like, hey, I'd like to see your feet, right? Shit like that. Right. So how do you how do you think somebody goes about establishing boundaries and maybe not committing what they consider to be, I think a lot of women are apprehensive about maybe career suicide. Yeah. You know what I mean? So where, where, do, where do we fall into that realm there in that space? So it would be a tough call and everyone, anyone who's in that situation or is going through that situation, I highly encourage you to one, seek support, find a counselor or find a trusted friend outside of the agency that you can talk to about this. But unfortunately, I feel like this is actually just a bigger commentary on society because I pretty much don't know any female that hasn't had a male superior in their life at some point in time that sexually harassed them Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. So really what we're getting out here is a bigger conversation about society. However, for the female officers that might be in this position, again, I think you just kind of have to ask yourself, like, who is it that you want to be? What is it that you want your reputation to be? And do you want to change society or do you want it to let it continue on? Because if you potentially betray your boundaries and go along with whatever it is the superior wants because you're afraid of career suicide or having a different time on the difficult time on the job, chances are then that superior or the person who comes after them is going to perpetuate the same behavior mm-hmm. and nothing's ever going to change. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but I would encourage you to seek support and see where you can establish a boundary where you can. What are the other examples you say, like, betray your moral high ground, or your moral, what, belief, what you believe to you? Like, what other areas, think, in law enforcement where somebody would be presented with a situation where that's the case? And we're, we're talking about boundaries. Right, in terms of boundaries. So, I mean, I think it's actually much more simple than what people realize. Like, you know, I might be getting asked to continue to do more and more work or volunteer for all these different things okay, that are being present. Very and, good. and maybe you're like, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. My significant other is already complaining that I'm not around enough, that I'm not helping out, you know? Um, and maybe it's creating that boundary of like, Hey, I'm not a, not, I'm not, not a team player by saying no to these opportunities, but I just need to sequester some of my time and give it to other people. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a big moral or ethical dilemma, but it's just realizing that fine line between what is it that's going to serve me best in the long run. So something like a no with an explanation might resolve the issue. Correct. I mean, and I know this might be difficult at work because you might have superiors looking at you like, what the fuck? Like we asked you or expected you to do something. Like, how could you say no? Especially if you're young on the job. I know this is definitely something my husband experiences as well. feels like he can't say no. He's a younger low man on the totem pole and he feels like he's got to, you know, like show up and do everything. And um, so I know it can be difficult to set that boundary and to kind of create that space but just also know as well no is a complete sentence Mm. you don't necessarily have to offer an explanation and i know that might be difficult with superiors they might expect one but with your peer-to-peer on the job no is a complete sentence i've had a hard time understanding the stubbornness or thick-headedness or not open-mindedness 
of anybody, especially in a superior position, who is not willing to listen as to why this person is setting a boundary. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think as a good leader, you need to be able to be open to understanding why and know that there's not always just one way to do things. You could always pivot. So like, hey, Pete, we need you to stay for an extra four. I, you know, hey, Sarge, I can't. You know, right. tomorrow's my kid's communion. If there's anything you can do for me, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I think Joe's available. You know, I know you don't like Joe, but for this time, you know, I can't do it. I, I, I find it very disheartening when I hear stories of people trying to behave appropriately and being returned or the, the, the response to that being some kind of punitive issues. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's really, it's not great. It's not productive. It doesn't serve your officers well. Therefore, the officers don't feel good on the job. Like, it really doesn't serve any purpose from my perspective. But I would find that the most people who are unreceptive to boundaries being set with them are typically people who have never exercised boundaries in their own lives. And you can probably look at them and see that they do not have boundaries with many things in their life. I want to just move this right into this conversation. I thought it was good. It just trigger me. And I have a um, I have a note written on my phone because I was told this from a, another mental health professional and said, all people want these three things to be seen, validated, and heard. Mm-hmm. You heard that before? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that a little bit and how easy it is to seen, validate, and hear people. And maybe to my detriment, I have not always been that good. I've been, you know, it's, it's, it has been brought up to me that like in the past, like you don't listen. And then, you know, like Jenna who works here is like, you don't listen, but you also have 90,000 things going on and 25 people every day jamming it down your throat. Dennis, 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 Den, 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 Den. So you can't get your thoughts going because everybody's, so you're not listening because you're working on something else. And, you know, I have never had a, an official diagnosis, but I think my superpower is probably my attention deficit disorder, right? Like, that's a, to me, it's a superpower, right? It seems to be like the same kind of, I mean, like Elon Musk has Asperger's. Did you know that? Yeah. Um, some of these things people don't realize are these superpowers. So attention deficit disorder, like, first of all, it disheartens me when somebody's trying to medicate a child to try to circumvent attention deficit disorder. How about they're just bored in school, right? So how about that one? How about school's fucking boring? Let's face mm-hmm. facts. And you are trying to get your kid to conform, you know, square peg, round hole. You, not a good solution to to your child. Maybe you've got to put a little extra time, energy, and effort into your fucking children and find something a little more tailored to them, not just dump them off the babysitters four blocks down in the brick building. Because that's all school is, let's face facts. It's one big babysitting event that are creating factory workers. Anyway, back off of that. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. It was built by the... the the uh, industrialists of the early 1900s. Schools were created by them. They need to create more factory workers. So obedient, mindless listeners who are taught to, here's your break, here's your lunch, come back, do it again, da-da-da. That's all all it's designed for. And and again, I say this with the audacity that I say it, knowing that I have friends that are teachers. They are phenomenal human beings. They know the whole thing's a fucking disaster. They don't even want to do it anymore because they know how wrong the whole system is. And I know that people have good intention, but they're bound by the law. Anywho. So, seen, validated, and heard. I feel like when you're at a police department, what a powerful thing to just pass around, especially a supervisor to a subordinate. Seen, validated, and heard. Hey, Joe, I see you. I know you're here. I know that you're doing a good job, and I'm hearing exactly what you're saying. 
maybe even just that without any additional formal action is that significant stuff there absolutely i I think it's the most important thing and i i actually think that if more officers felt that way there wouldn't be so much dissatisfaction on the job but from what i hear most departments are operating in a mindset of like doesn't matter just shut up and do it just go don't question it just get out there and do it and when someone has a valid maybe perspective of well why don't we do it this way or how about this or you know just that maybe voicing why they don't think that would work or wanting to do something a different way it's oftentimes shut down and i just think it's so unproductive it's just such an unproductive way to first of all treat people and then to conduct these agencies that let's be honest are under heavy scrutiny you know it's no shock or surprise to anybody that there is just heavy criticism left and right against law enforcement apparently that language is changing because you know midterms are coming so oh yeah now the fun we got yeah yeah. yeah, now we got to fund the police which is just bullshit but whatever um i just think you could have so many happier people at a department if instead of just like if a patrolman comes to a sergeant or a captain with a complaint instead of just being like well that's the way it is what are you gonna do suck it the fuck up instead of just being like yeah you know i hear your point that's pretty valid this is 2022 we can maybe look to do things a little different why don't you type up something and send it to me in an email about what you think that could look like Hmm. how much more important would that patrolman feel how much more validated how much more invested in the job would they be if they were like oh wow i really felt like i contributed something there and it was accepted and it's potentially going to create better outcomes for the community amazing how about this one patrolman to people that they encounter in the street outside of the police agency so this is another great tool we could have implemented years ago is like seen validated and heard if you think about when somebody's trying to speak to the police or something to tell them what do they want seen validated and heard right and that mm-hmm. makes sense so you think it's a good resource for law enforcement to encompass and apply in their professional careers yeah meaning officers apply this to the people to that they citizens. interact with absolutely because i think most people in a situation and honestly when police officers are coming into a situation you're typically dealing with people that are high emotion potentially there's high danger high threat in the situation those people are literally out of their minds because they're first of all they're operating in a system that doesn't allow them to think logically Um, they're operating most typically in a sympathetic dominant system which means that their cognitive functionings are kind of turned off a little bit because the sympathetic system is that fight or flight system so typically they're operating in a system that's purely emotion and instinct and it's less logic so how beneficial would it be for an officer instead of trying to do all this other stuff in the situation they just started looking someone in the eye being like hey i hear you i hear you it's okay you can calm down i get it yeah you're scared yeah yeah i understand like you're really concerned right now like let's just take a few moments take a few deep breaths take a few deep breaths and we will handle this but i hear you i hear you and i understand that's not applicable in every situation due to the safety risks but in some situations most of it is though which is you know it could go a long way Yeah. yeah it could go a long way most situations you know to be honest with you you always have to have safety on the forefront as a law enforcement officer, but you cannot treat every situation. And this is a little conflicting to what I always often advise. Once you realize that the situation is not going to be something that's gonna take your life, mm-hmm. you've gotta be able to pivot and start seeing it a different way and treating it a different way. Maybe the initial arrival, you've gotta really take into consideration of some of the safety factors and mitigate those and have an analysis of the situation. But once you're past the point of recognizing that, okay, this is not something where I'm going to be dying today. 
you know, this is not what's going to happen. There's no, especially if you understand body language and behavior and stuff like that. This is a very, very powerful tool to employ is to, you think this kind of lines up with empathizing with people or having compassion for people, even in a situation where you might not feel your, you would want compassion for this, but they might need compassion for it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and that's really what empathy is. It's being able to look at someone in their situation and understand all right, I could see where they would be this escalated. I could see where they would feel this amount of fear, shame, embarrassment, guilt, trepidation, anxiety, you know, whatever it is that they are experiencing. And so I think it could go a long way for a lot of officers to take a beat and to take a second and realize that and then implement it. And shameless plug for my training course, the Trauma 101 course, I talk a lot about this. And I talk about a lot of skills that officers can use for themselves and they can give to other people that they might encounter that's gonna help them feel validated, seen, and understood. It's interesting. You know, a lot of times police officers will run into somebody who has mental health issues. Mm -hmm. A lot more than you would think. Because those people are constantly... I don't know, getting involved with the police on sometimes their own proactivity. They're trying to contact us and want us to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes inevitability because of their behaviors and actions. So how important do you think it is to consider mental health? And I'm going to say this. I remember, uh, I'm going to, it's so weird because this piece of advice, I'm going to pass it on to everybody else. And it might be a little more of an insensitive piece of advice, but I think when you look beyond what I'm saying, it goes a long way and it'll help you in the future. And I've kind of tailored it a little bit, but the crazy thing about all of this is the advice was given to me by one of the craziest people I've ever worked for in my life. The guy was completely off the chain, insane, uh, and a pain in the ass nonstop. Not a bad guy, but a pain in the ass. And uh, we had a job one time and we were out there and da da da. And I'm trying to explain to this woman, I think she called and complained about the the neighbor's Halloween uh, (laughs) decorations. And I'm like, it's his property. Mm-hmm. He can do it. And I, this went on for like an endless cycle for like five minutes. And she's like, I don't care. I don't want to look at those. And I'm like, you don't get to decide that. And then that guy called me. He goes, oh, come here for a second. He goes, did anybody ever, did nobody ever told you? I go, what? He goes, you can't make sense to a crazy person. And I went, hmm. That was actually one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten in my life. Yeah. I actually think about what my, my top piece of advice is. And it might be a little entrepreneurial. But that was a good piece of advice. Now I kind of say things like, you know, me maybe being a little a little insensitive, like 95% of the world is absolutely insane and dumb. And by law of averages, I'm gonna put those per, that person into that category. But what's your thoughts on that? And then I'll, I'll circle back to the my favorite piece of advice right now for anybody who is trying to hold themselves accountable for anything, so. Okay. So in terms of mental health. officers inter- interacting with individuals that have mental health, this is kind of a complex answer because mental health is a pretty broad spectrum. And quite obviously, the way that you, an officer should, or I would encourage them to approach someone who's hanging onto the side of a bridge thinking they're about to end it all is much different than the way that you're going to approach someone who's combative because they're experiencing symptoms of schizophrenia or maybe they're unmedicated and now they're in a completely dysregulated state or how about somebody who is heated over something and has no control of their emotions even down to that right yeah so and it's a different situation it's like well, why is that person heated is it a person that genuinely this is like an odd situation that they're in and they had a reason to be that angry and that sent them through the roof or is this someone who in your system they've been called for pests nine times in the last week 
it's a different situation. And so I think it really needs discernment on the officer's part as to how they're going to handle it. But obviously, first and foremost, safety is the biggest concern. So figure out how you can make yourself safe and how you can make the other individual safe in that situation. But there's a pretty viral video going around. I got it sent to me at least 30 times because my husband works for the department of an individual in Tom, an officer in Tom's River who was very clearly up against somebody in the community that was not in their mental state. They were not right person. And you could see it from the bat. They have absolutely, they, they have absolutely no cognition. They're repetitive with their sentences. They're combative. And it, it honestly looks like the guy was trying to go for suicide by cop. And so I give the officer in that situation a shit ton of credit because he tried to show restraint. He tried to remain calm in the situation. But at the end of the day, there's no reasoning with that person. Right. You cannot talk to them. And so the only option available to you is make the situation safe and make it end. And that's what the officer seemed to do in that situation. But And he made light of that guy, too. I mean, he really just tossed him around like a... Yeah, yeah, he did. He did a good job. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, it, it didn't look like it was violent. No, he definitely was not trying to be like, oh, you pissed me off. Now I'm going to, like, really show you here, like, right. in my takedown. Like, he took him down, he ended the situation, and that was it. And honestly, that's what officers need to do. But people don't like that. Society doesn't like that answer. They don't like being confronted with the uncomfortable reality that first and foremost, our higher mental health systems in the United States are horrendous. The hospitalization process, horrible. The way that they just take people in and release them without any follow-up, any safety plans, nowhere to go, it happens all the time. And so we have these people in society that are pretty persistently sick and they have nowhere to go and they have nothing to do. And the only line of defense that we have available to us is police officers. And so this whole converse, there's a conversation that's been happening in society of like, well, cops shouldn't be called in to handle individuals that have mental health needs. It should be a mental health counselor. Well, when I saw that video of the officer in Tom's River who was up against the guy who was clearly psychotic, I'm looking at that and I'm like, and what the fuck would I do in that situation? Right. Like I'm a mental health professional and what am I doing? Because that person is not in a process, is not in a system that's gonna allow them to understand reasoning. And so an officer that's dealing with a psychotic person or a person who's in some sort of chemical imbalance or is hallucinating or is seemingly experiencing paranoia, that person is gonna be handled much different, obviously, than the person who's on the side of the bridge. The person who is on the side of the bridge are obviously going to be calm with, you're gonna be empathetic about, because my God, how sad is that, that somebody thinks their, worth is, their life is worth so little that they're just gonna end it all in a very public way without any regard for anything else. Mm -hmm. And really, when, you, when someone chooses to try to commit suicide in a very public way like that, and I think you guys recently posted a video of a guy was on like the side mm -hmm. of a freeway pass, mm -hmm. I believe, that's a massive cry for help. Like that person is on that bridge in significant pain, but also dying for somebody to notice them right. and to validate their pain. And so the officer that goes up in that situation and says, I don't know what you're going through, but I, I know you're in pain and I, I know you're you. hurting. I see you. It doesn't have to be like this. Like, let me get you help. Those are two drastically different things. And so it takes discernment on the officer's part to decide how they are going to handle that. Do you think people who are committed on ending their lives do it more privately? No, I think it depends. There's a lot of research on like the different ways people 
choose to commit suicide or the different attempts that people have made. But I think it really just depends on the person and the severity of their intent. It's interesting stuff. You know, I think there's a lot to be said and done for the profession of law enforcement to get men and women to understand how to maneuver through a lot of this stuff. And you would need Mm -hmm. significant training to recognize what's going on. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there hasn't been given significant training. It's here's the keys, here's the car, go respond to your radio, right? And this is something we're definitely trying to address. I say it all the time, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. So it's little by little, but we're making progress. And it's people like you who are able to shed light onto these situations to give people a clear understanding of, oh, okay, let me think a little bit more than what my natural instincts are telling me to do. Off of that subject and rewinding just a hair, if you, I think I'm sure people want to hear the entrepreneurial advice that I can give them. And I think it's probably one of the most, because I don't know, how much more do you want to talk about that portion of it, the suicidal thing? I think that could be a, a whole separate. Yeah, I think we're going to whole separate podcast because talking about officers who might be experiencing that and there's help available to you, we'll post some uh, national helplines in the description for this podcast. But I think that's a whole separate topic and talking about what contributes to that. Okay. So I think we can leave you know, that, that for today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this entrepreneurial thing is, and I got to be honest with you, had is motivated like grinder, right? Yeah. And let me ask you if you follow this or if this might speak to you a little bit. One of the best skills that you can acquire as somebody who's trying to be progressive and and change your life and develop is to recognize excuses. Mm-hmm. So for me, and I don't know if that's mentally, you know, it's in accordance with mental health, but I don't ever make an excuse. I always try to find the solution. So it's like, well, blah, 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 blah. No, no, it can be done, right? It's, well, that's impossible. No, it's actually not. We can, we can figure it out. So I don't want to do this because of this. That's an excuse. So it is probably my number one superpower to recognize, and I'll I'll even do this. I'll even do it with like my health. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I could sit on this couch and watch TV. This feels good. But then I recognize my inner bitch. And I'm like, all right, (laughs) who's in control here? Right. You know what I mean? And it's a matter of like going from getting off the couch to maybe getting your sneakers on, to starting the car and starting to drive to the gym. And you can start to tell yourself a lot of things, like going to the gym, like this used to happen to me a lot. I mean, not a lot, but it's happened to me. I've been you know, going to the gym for 22 years now. I would feel like, oh, my stomach hurts. I gotta turn back around. I'm gonna go home and I'd rather not. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna use the bathroom at the gym. That's what I'll do. And mm-hmm. um, as comfortable as it is for me, I'm still gonna be at the gym. For me, it's even worse now because I built a gym. I'm fortunate enough to be able to build a gym at my house. And, you know, I, I found it utterly ridiculous for moments in time when I'm like, people are like, ah, I've been working out. And I'm like, I haven't been to the gym in three days or three weeks. And you're like, well, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Your gym is literally 12 steps down your basement. Right. You know, so if people are trying to recognize and trying to grow, I think that's a very, very strong thing to learn. And, the cool thing is, is once you understand and recognize what an excuse is, you're gonna hear other people's excuses. Oh, I hear it all the time. Um, I can, I'm going right to one since we're going to health, like, oh, I was injured, so I can't exercise. And then it's like, yeah, you don't exercise, but you're also eating. It's so rambunctiously and out of control. You know, what are you telling yourself? I can't do this. Today is day two of a diet for me, right? As I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about McChicken sandwiches. I don't know why I went there. <laughs> 
I don't even love them that much. It's just for me. It's like, I was going to say, do you like them that much? No. No, I don't. I don't know why. And then I'm like, you know what, though? Like, that's an excuse. It would be easy for me to just give up and go to McDonald's down the road and eat a McChicken sandwich. It'd be more difficult for me, if you think, quote unquote, to eat the prep meal that I brought here today. Mm-hmm. But it's an excuse. And it's the excuse you're telling yourself. So I recognize that. I'm like, oh, there's my bitch again, right? There's that little bitch coming back out. Like, go eat this, go do that. Screw off, blah, blah, blah. Do this, drink, drink in excess, right? All mm-hmm. those things. So I don't know why I wanted to get on this. It's kind of a gift I wanted to give everybody. What do you think? What, how do you take that? Yeah, I take it as basically those moments when you know you say you're going to do something and then you come up with excuses of why you're not going to do it. That's you betraying your boundaries against yourself, no. right? Was that like, triggered from this conversation? Is that why I brought it up? Well, it might have been. Okay, I don't cool. mean I don't know. Yeah. I'm not in your head, but it co- it correlates from my perspective. Yeah. So, like, if we take this example of. I'm going to eat a certain way and I'm going to exercise a certain way. Oftentimes that excuse that might come into play is of like, oh, I'm too tired. Mm-hmm. I didn't get time to cook. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm just going to eat out tonight. Mm-hmm. That's you betraying your own boundaries that you made with yourself. Mm-hmm. And when people get in the habit of betraying their own boundaries, they start to lose trust mm-hmm. in themselves. And then it starts to feel really difficult for them to believe themselves when they say they're going to do things. How many people listening today have maybe said like, New Year's resolution, this is it, I'm doing it, this is my time. And then by about the third week in January, their time is done. (laughs) Like It's already come to a complete end for them. And so I think it's really important for people to start realizing like, what are the boundaries that you've made with yourself, for yourself? What were the reasons for those boundaries? And then why is it that you feel like you're not sticking to it? Um, Because there's a reason you're not sticking to it. And oftentimes those reasons that people have trouble sticking with the boundaries that they've made to themselves is for some deeper mental health issues Mm -hmm. that should be explored. Um, But for me, it always, I mean, that comes back to boundaries in a pretty simple way. Yeah, there's um, another saying that I really live by. And I thought about it this morning because, again, this is the beginning of this. And I'm I'm actually on a very strict diet for the most part. Mm -hmm. I don't hold myself accountable publicly. And... I anticipate that I might fall off, right? But right. the cool thing about this one is you get right back on. Right. So even there's a slip up, and I don't, you know, I'm, I, I'd like to consider myself somewhat of a foodie, but within reason. I'm not somebody who's going to sit here and pound chocolate all day and 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 gives you migraines. It gives me migraines <laughs> on top of that, but like, or even misbehave with food in general. Um, so there's some interesting things I'm learning about hunger and food and da 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 and these stories we tell ourselves. And it, it circles back to something by Les Brown, who's a motivational speaker, who I was introduced to not personally, but found many, many years ago. And it's one of the sayings that I love, and it's do what is easy and life will be hard. Do what is hard and life will be easy. Mm-hmm. And this actually correlates to the book that I'm in now and other podcasts that I've listened to regarding health. They're talking about if you're treating yourself correctly now, maybe setting those boundaries and sticking to them, you could expect somewhere from 10 to 20 more years of your life, right? The things that we're doing to ourselves regarding the inflammation of the body and and people who are coming up against these like challenges with terminal disease, but the but essentially the ones who are extremely healthy, who are not being subjected to that, or their bodies can fight off some of that terminal stuff. It makes recovery very easy for them. Right. There's another one I heard recently which I really like is like, would you rather spend the hours in the gym now or the hours in the doctors later? Mm. Right? Think about it. Yeah, because so, it's all difficult. It's just what type of difficulty you want. 
I guess because I'm 40 now, right? I think I'm thinking think about things differently. I made a little more conscious of my mortality. I had a physical last week because we have, I have another insurance policy for my life insurance. And um, that's neither here nor there for the details of the podcast. But the woman's like, who's your primary physician? And I'm like, I don't have one. She's like, when's the last time you were at the doctor within the past 10 years? I'm like, I haven't been at the doctor in 10 years. Right? And knock on wood. I mean, I feel like obviously I'm blessed. I wasn't predispositioned to you know, encounter something very terminal or awful like that. But the reality is like, I haven't been to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Like in 10, and I start to think about that now. I'm like, shit, right? And I know people my age that are at the doctor every month, right? Yeah. Getting this, getting that. And the question I ask myself is like, how long can I keep this up? And I'm, for me, I'm like, I hope I can tell you I've been to the doctor in 30 years. Obviously preventative care as I get older, I wanna make sure that, but that came back. You know, the blood work came back and I was looking at my results and I'm like, it was, it was, it was perfect blood work. Mm-hmm. And believe me, I'm not pretending like I'm perfect at all. But I'm getting to the point now where I'm being a lot more mindful of all the actions I'm taking, especially what I have plans for changing things a little bit. I don't mean to get off on a rant. No, I think it's actually really important because I think especially when we're talking to the law enforcement community, we already know that the way shifts are designed and that lifestyle is not created in a way to create wellness and health in officers' lives. It's just not. You know, let's be honest. the sleep rhythms are off, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. The circadian rhythms for people working midnights is completely fucked, like from top to bottom. And you can see it. My husband, he's only ever worked midnights, and I, I see it in him. Like, he doesn't function the same way. He's constantly depleted on sleep. You know, he's constantly off with, like, a meal schedule. So, like, he's eating things at weird times or not eating complete meals and so that whole system uh yeah it's brutal and so that whole system of and then you don't have time to work out like they only have so much time when they finally are awake and they want to spend it with friends and family and catching up with people and so that doesn't necessarily make Mm -hmm. them want to work out and take their health seriously or you know we don't have children yet but for people who have kids your time is even more limited you know your partner has expectations of you your kids have expectations of you and so I fully recognize that in this conversation that we're having of like, you know, be motivated, don't make excuses, like commit to your boundaries with yourself. I also realize that's way harder to do for many in the law enforcement community just because of the nature of the job and the demands that you have outside of the job. And so I encourage anyone just start small. Like it doesn't have to be something crazy. Like start with committing to maybe just, okay, I'm not gonna drink. 15 energy drinks on my ship. I'm going to at least commit to swapping out one with water. Or, you know, when I come home, I am going to eat a whole meal because when I was on my entire 11, 12 hour shift, whatever it is, I didn't eat a full meal. I just had snacks. So I actually have nothing in my system that it's running on. Mm -hmm. It's probably running mostly on stress hormones and rain energy drinks. You know what I mean? So start making little changes to help correct your health because your physical health is directly going to impact your mental health. Mm -hmm. You do not operate in a vacuum. These systems within our bodies don't operate in a vacuum. So if one area of your life is feeling depleted or deteriorated, chances are it's all feeling a little depleted or deteriorated. So you need to take with personal, meaning officers, anyone listening, they need to take personal responsibility because the society that we live in, I really hate to say it, they do not care if you're sick. 
They do not care. We have literally built entire societies to make people sick with their food, sick with their mental health, and we've just deemed it as common. And because it's common, we've now quickly moved it into the category of, oh, it's normal. It's normal for people to have hypertension and high blood pressure and heart issues and diabetes and asthma and all these other things. And nine up and now it's common, it's normal that everyone's like, oh yeah, everyone's a little anxious and depressed. Everyone is experiencing sentiments of, um, you know, malaise and apathy and disconnectedness. Oh, don't worry, everyone feels that way. No, we shouldn't be feeling this way. And so if you don't like what's going on in your life, change it and start changing it in a small way because your habits will change your life. So start changing your habits and you will see your life change. And it, and it ties back to like that recognizing excuses things, right? So I'm gonna mm-hmm. follow up with that is there's always a way to figure it out. Yeah. And there's discipline. So, I mean, I have, I have a lot of fucking kids, right? And they want my attention nonstop. And I was looking at my gym today when I was there in the morning and um, I, I was working out early today. I was working at like 6.15 in the morning. And I said to myself, this is probably, I mean, I buy some stupid shit. I think people, as you get to know me more, you'll see. I bought an RV. I sold it in nine months. Okay. I was like, fuck this thing. All right. Like, it's just some, some cost. I was done with it. It was not what I thought it was going to do for me. And we weren't enjoying it. I'm like, fuck this thing. Sell it. Da-da-da. I took a bath on it. Is what it is. Moving on. Lick my wounds. Move on my life, with my life. And I look at this gym and I'm like, this is probably the best investment I've ever made in my life, hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, for many reasons is it now remove the excuse of me not being able to get to the gym because I have children. My kids also on top of that are watching me work out. Yeah. And they work out with me. Right. So they're not watching their dad sitting on a couch, being miserable, drinking beer, watching TV. Mm-hmm. Their father is productive. Their father never stops, comes down. And um, there are moments where, again, I'm just like everybody else. I'm not trying to sound like I'm on a high horse here. Believe me, I have had a life of misbehaviors. Um, but I found this path I'm trying to share it with people. I'm not trying to be the example. I'm trying to say, hey, if I can do it, you can do it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I heard another podcast recently, like, people are like, wow, it's easy for you. I like when people say this to me. Oh, it's easy for you. You've got a gym. Uh, guess what? You can go outside and probably run and do push-ups and sit-ups and fucking do all these things without even having to have a weight near you. Correct. But you're making excuses. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to all these things. So employing that discipline of like, you know, I, I, I've been there. Sorry, guys, I don't... Wait, you want to hear something great? Try this one. Next time you're at a social event, try this and watch the pushback you get. Sorry, guys, I don't drink. Yeah. I don't drink. Oh, you don't? No. Okay, so you know. Yeah. What's it like? How about this is even better? Here's a guy who used to drink a fuck ton who doesn't drink anymore, right? So I haven't drank in excess for... I'm 40 now, seven, eight years. Mm Mm-hmm. People cannot understand why I'm not drinking 15 beers. They can't figure it out. Or, hey, we, uh, you want this? Da, da, da. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually watching what I'm eating right now. Right. I can't have that. You know, try that as an experiment. And I always tell people, I'm not holding myself accountable to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about what I'm doing. Absolutely. I'm not thinking about, well, Joey eats a full meatball sub. I'll eat a half of that makes it. No, Dennis eats fucking grilled chicken. Right? And fucking two eggs. That's what Dennis eats. Dennis doesn't compare himself to Joey. Exactly. And I think oftentimes what's happening in those situations, and sometimes it's a subconscious thing from my perspective, but sometimes people are so unhappy with their lives and they get stuck in these patterns that they're in that are self-soothing patterns. Drinking is self-soothing. 
Um, you know, comfort food, it's self-soothing. Comfort food is never a salad, right? It's always like pancakes and something fried, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think oftentimes when people realize that other people are not participating in these self-soothing behaviors because they don't have necessarily a need to self-soothe, it kind of starts to make them have to examine themselves of like, oh, well, maybe like, why am I doing this? And you don't, people don't care, right? Like if you were going to say like, oh, all, all I do is drink milkshakes. No one's going to care. No one questions that. Right. But it's when someone is doing something healthy for their lives that might be giving them a, not an upper hand, but it's improving their lives. All of a sudden people have an issue with it. Um, and I just encourage, leave everyone alone. Like stay in your own lane mm-hmm. because the lane that you're in is taking you towards your goal. Your goal might not look like the goal of the person in the lane next to you. So it makes no it makes no sense to compare or contrast or try to um, you know make someone come into your lane and follow your path because their goals might be different. And it is a it is a weird thing. I've always felt like an outsider, especially with the drinking thing, because even when I was young, like in college, I remember being like a sophomore in college and I was like, this cannot be all that we are doing with our lives. Like I was like, this is fucking killing me. Like I cannot just you go. Into, so you got into cocaine? Yeah, that's okay. exactly when I switched to cocaine. Right. Um, and so I was just like, there's got to be like more to life. Like I do not get the point of this. I do not get the point of going out every weekend or going out multiple times a week, drinking, and then spending the next three nights complaining and talking about what we did when we were drinking that was stupid or unproductive until we just hit the next event where we drink and do something stupid and unproductive. And I was like, I don't get it. And so obviously throughout my life like i do go to social engagements and i do drink but over the last year in particular i'm like i don't really have any use for this and so it is an interesting thing it does make you feel a little bit like a social outsider and this is not me putting myself up on a pedestal for not drinking i don't like the way it makes me feel any amount of alcohol i don't like the way it makes me feel i like feeling clear-minded i like feeling alert i like feeling productive any amount of alcohol in my system, I've noticed like I feel it and I don't like that. So I'm like, this doesn't serve me. I'm done with it. But I think most people take offense or they take criticism with somebody who's bettering their lives because I think sometimes on a subconscious level, it makes them maybe feel accountable or seen for not mm-hmm. participating mm-hmm. in healthy behaviors. There is nothing more counterproductive in the world than getting shit faced. It is the most counterproductive thing. And by the way, guess what? Uh, I did it for a lot of years. Right. Until I realized how counterproductive it was. And you know, I actually would be drinking saying to myself, if I could just stop doing this mm-hmm. and I could just fucking stop coming out and drinking the way that I'm drinking, I could probably do a lot. I know I got a lot inside this brain. And um, clearly we see what I've been able to accomplish when I stop drinking. So, you know, interestingly enough, people have been, I've been asked recently, what's, what's the issue with you and the alcohol? And I'm trying to really find an answer for that. And I think it's the counterproductivity of the alcohol that, and me yeah. being such a productive person. But also, I am not judging others for how they no. want to conduct their life. Mm-hmm. So I ask in turn for them not to judge me for the way I'm conducting my life. And I'm telling you right now, it's funny you're bringing this up about drinking. I'll be in Atlantic City tonight and for the PBA mini convention. And I'll have 28 people try to hand me shots tonight. Right. And I'm not somebody who doesn't accept gifts mm-hmm. because I've learned that lesson too. Just accept the fucking gift, right? And say thank you and, and appreciate it and da-da-da. But this is the one time where I'm like, 
uh, no, I'm good. You don't, 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 I don't, oh, no, no, Uncle Dad's drinking, you're having one of these shots. I'm like, no, I'm not. So right. you can, like, you can get 10 shots all you want, but you just give it to somebody else because I'm not doing it. Now, will I drink on occasion? Uh, yeah, but it's either one or the other. I don't convolute the two. There's no mixture. It's either this is where we are. We have zero responsibilities. This day or days have been, like, we're going to Nashville in April at the end of April the entire staff is I'm bringing them to Nashville for a thank you trip and Christmas gifts for the work they did for the conference and for Christmas as well that's designated right I'm not going to Nashville and not going to not drink with everybody right but I'm also not responsible for a business for those two or three days that we're going to be there and my children so you know because I'm constantly trying to be productive with all of it including my children right how kind of productive is it to be, to be hung over on your fucking couch if you're trying to be a good thought parent to your children. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just encourage anyone who's listening to this, again, you you know, we both said it, like we're not judging people who drink, but I personally, my view and clinically, my view is that drinking, especially when somebody feels as if they need a drink at an event for whatever reason, like they cannot participate in that event without a drink. I'm not saying that you have a drinking problem. I'm just saying I would encourage those people to evaluate how about well, for karaoke, though? Because that's that? you got to have a few drinks to sing karaoke. I mean, everyone needs a few drinks for karaoke. That's because, what I'm saying. So there's got to be... Yeah, it makes you sound better, you know. Like, they have my birthday party here. <laughs> you can so hit they, the high notes. Yeah, they yeah. have the birthday party here, right? So, like, they were like, you're singing tonight with this band. It was a Frank Sinatra, like, Rat Pack <laughs> band, God. right? So I'm a big Frank Sinatra fan. Are you really? Huge Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra. Like, oh, my god. Yeah, I'll play this shit all day at my house. That's, like, way older than 40. Like, where, uh, <laughs> how yeah, did like, you get like into that? It's, like, 95. Yeah. Um, I don't like I think it's a Jersey thing, right? Like you were brought. I mean, you're from Jersey, right? Yeah. But you're from what? Where'd you grow up again? I grew up in Hunter County. Yeah. So I don't know how. Did you get that Italian feel in Hunter County, or is it more like? I have a very <coughs> Italian grandmother, but um, I mean, I was definitely like exposed to it. But personally, I've never identified with it because I think like my pinky toe is Italian. Okay. Like, most of me is not full for Italian. Us, like from this area, like close, relevant to New York, most of our good times. With our families, especially like summer nights and summer mm-hmm. events and dinners out to restaurants, um, communions, things like that, where you, right. where there was always Frank Sinatra being played. So I think there's a correlation there. And uh, my grandfather listened to it nonstop. Okay. And yeah, I, I, it's funny because people in New Jersey, regardless of your race, color, creed, or religion, all seem to appreciate Frank Sinatra at some level. He's iconic. He's pretty iconic. Well, he's also very iconic in the sense that he was uh, supportive of African Americans mm-hmm. and was breaking down a lot of the barriers of, of segregation. So, True. Um, a lot of black guys that I know are like, fucking love Frank Sinatra. I'm yeah. like, yeah, of course. Who doesn't? <laughs> right? Like, you know what I mean? But, like, in the same sense, like, I love Ray Charles as well. Because I'm right. in the same kind of dynamic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so. As soon as they told me I was going to sing, I'm like, all right, where's the wine? I got to have a few glasses. I got to get loosened up here. Right. There's 65 people here that I got to sing. And, and to be honest with you. What was your you, song? Oh, I mean, once what I said, Jess, you, you were there, weren't you? Was it Fly Me to the Moon? Fly Me to the Moon was a good one. Jesus Christ. What's my song? <laughs> Man, I don't, I don't have, like today, crazy enough, like this is why I don't listen to music as nuts as it sounds. Because now Billy Joel's playing in my head, New York mm-hmm. State of Mind. What a, mm-hmm. what a song. That is yeah. a fucking phenomenal song uh, so I played it 26 times to try to get out of my head okay and it's been fucking my brain up that's why I listen to music because I need my brain to constantly work and come up with these ideas 
is it weird that I don't listen to music? I'm not going to say it's weird or not weird. I know there's a lot of people that don't listen to music. Yeah. Personally, I'm not one of them. I use music for everything in my life. I can't. Absolutely everything. It messes my brain up. Mm. It prevents me from thinking. Because okay. I'm thinking about that, I can think about something else. Okay. I mean, I, could, I was going to say I could analyze that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But, well, um, I think there's a disorder there. I was going to say, I think it's probably some sentiments of some dysregulation that makes you like jump from one topic to the other and it's kind nonstop. of you can't stay maybe focused and present on one thing. I'm Again, to I think you. Conversations, right? I, I was going to say, you do. I can see you try really hard too. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah, but I think you're right. Part of that makes you who you are, makes you very successful. And I can see where other part of that, it might like interfere with your life from being able to enjoy and stay present in a moment. But it's either one or the regardless, other. It's one or the other. Probably also it <clears throat> helps you sing Billy Joel or uh, mm. Frank Sinatra. Now, I don't know if I'm ever singing Frank Sinatra you, in front of people. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I have been given some accolades here okay. that when Christmas is around, I'm very talented at singing some classic oh. Christmas songs like okay. Baby It's Cold Outside. Let's sing a few I can, bars. I can, I, I'm going to hold off on that. Okay. Um, here's another reveal. Well, videos are, didn't happen. That's all I'm saying. Well, I think there are some videos of it. Oh, great. Jess, um, you have those uh, videos? Okay, fabulous. Mm -hmm. And here's another reveal, what people don't know. Um, I'm sure I can almost to a T do impressions of 50 or more characters. Where if you close your eyes, you would think you would hear there would be a voiceover act doing it. Like Tasmanian Devil? Or? Mm, I mean, I can give you, I can keep you relevant with that, but there are certain specifics. So everybody who does, it's so interesting, people, a lot of people don't know this, but like, um, I watch these TikTok videos now, these guys who do impressionists and they do voiceovers, and I'm mm -hmm. like, I know exactly what they're saying, and I've been able to do impressions since I'm five, mm -hmm. and so well that... I remember working in the mall as a kid and people would like bring their friends and they're like, this is the guy because I'd worked there, right? And they're like, dude, you got to come outside. You got to do these fucking impressions for my friends. Like <laughs> you did them last time we were outside hanging out and like they're fucking wild. Do this one, do that one, do this one, do that one. And really, and it's, that was actually a big alert. Anytime I would go somewhere, people would make me do these impressions. My family still does it to me. What's your best one? Oh, there's a lot of them. I don't have the best one. Okay. I have newer ones. What's your favorite one? Can I tell you a new one that I'm working on? Please do. John C. Riley. Okay. Step Brothers. I know who he yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a very distinct voice. So don't forget, when you're an impressionist, it can't be somebody who... Like, I can do impressions of a lot of people here in the office. Mm -hmm. um, those have been documented as well. <laughs> and there's actually a lot of people who you don't know that I can do impressions of. But um, that's my new one. I, have, I saw somebody doing it. Um, you know, some of the more classic ones that I do, like Popeye was an like that was a classic. That was when I first, Kermit the Frog. Um, okay. I can roll through a good a good set of these Simpsons characters. Okay. Um, one that everybody's had enough of here is my SpongeBob. I yeah. need to hear it. Yeah, we'll do it off there. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll do it off there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I can do I can do some cast members from this, but and then my kids try to do it. It's very funny. Like, oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's funny. Oh, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Anyway, okay. um, what do you want to say in closing? Because we got to wrap this up. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm like this is a big tangent, but in closing, boundaries. Anyone who's listening, be mindful of the boundaries you have with other people. Be mindful of the boundaries you have with yourself. If you find yourself pushing your boundaries with other people or with yourself for any reason take pause ask yourself why if you need help and support in that seek out help and support and we will post some links for people looking for help and support all right that's it we will be back soon for another version of this and um let's go into suicide next time sure 
So don't forget that for next week. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it'll be good. I'll have to ask you. Not a problem. Good. I'm glad you're accountable. <laughs> right. Hey, guys, check us out at uh, streetcoptraining.com. Streetcop.com. Both work. Our Facebook group. If you like the podcast, please give us a review. Let your friends know about it. We actually have a load of traction. And we are actually hiring for a podcast producer. So if you like this, you know somebody wants to be a podcast producer for this program, please reach out to us. Info at streetcop.com. And... As always, please be safe out there. Be thoughtful and mindful and, you know, know that people do care about you, especially when we're talking about the mental health portion of things. And life is a blessing and well worth living. And there is always a solution to getting to a better place mentally, whether it's mental health, mental health, personal self-preservation, exercise. Just know that you can start to feel better as well. So... I don't mean to steal your thunder. And on We're good. Right, was that good? Was that appropriate? That was good. That was okay. good. You can end there. Guys, be safe out there.